A quick note, this episode is profane as hell. Brooke! Okay, sorry. (laughs) Arisha, I want you to picture a yacht floating in the Caribbean Sea in the middle of the night. And not just any yacht. This one's huge. 140 feet long. 140 feet. Is that longer than the train of Princess Di's wedding dress? That's how I measure everything now. (laughs) Yes, 140 feet is like the length of four city buses. The yacht has custom racing gear, a swimming pool, and a rock climbing wall. It even has a fancy name, Sarissa. Is that a spice? (laughs) No, it's the name for the giant spears that Alexander the Great's army used in battle. Considering I'm sitting in isolation, in my PJs, (laughs) and I basically haven't left my house in a month, I'm really enjoying this picture you're painting. So who am I on this yacht with? Well, I gave you a hint. This yacht is named for something having to do with the world conqueror, Alexander the Great. Okay, so it's someone who dreams of taking over the world, Mm -hmm. and he's rich. I wish that narrowed it down more. (laughs) So Alexander came pretty close in his day. But you could argue the guy on this yacht has come even closer. Rupert Murdoch. Ah, good old Rupert. (laughs) You know who Rupert Murdoch is? Of course I do. He owns like every TV station and newspaper from here to Australia. Yeah, and he did it without using a single spear. That we know of. (laughs) Rupert's weapon of choice is the media. Newspapers and television networks and movie studios. So at this point in the story, it's 2018. He's 86 years old. He controls an empire worth more than $19 billion. And he's on his giant yacht. Actually, the yacht belongs to Rupert's son, Lachlan. But Rupert's borrowing it for a little vacation. In the middle of the night, Rupert gets up to go pee. The boat's probably swaying beneath him as he walks through the dark cabin half asleep. When suddenly, he falls hard. Now this modern Alexander, one of the most powerful, influential people in the world, is lying on the floor with broken vertebrae and a spinal hematoma. Oof, I don't know exactly what a spinal hematoma is, but it sounds really painful. (laughs) Yeah, and not just that, at his age, it could be fatal. Rupert's wife, Jerry Hall, finds him lying on the ground. Wait, I thought Jerry Hall was married to Mick Jagger. Yes, she was, but now she's the fourth Mrs. Rupert Murdoch. Wow, another wife. (laughs) I mean, listen, (laughs) if you have to be the fourth person, he's probably not that great, you know? Well, you had Mick Jagger, and now you've got Rupert Murdoch. I I truly don't know if that's leveling up or leveling down or just staying the same. Uh, It's truly hard to tell. The heart wants what it wants. Well, at least she's his age. Not quite. He still has more than 20 years on her. Anyway, Jerry finds him on the boat, lying on the floor. She panics and calls for help. He's airlifted off the yacht to a hospital in Los Angeles. And one of the first things Jerry does is call the four oldest kids. All of them are from previous marriages. There's Lachlan, James. Dopey, sneezy, (laughs) grumpy. (laughs) Close. (laughs) There's Lachlan, James, Elizabeth, and Prudence. And then he's got two younger children, too. Jerry tells the kids to get to the hospital ASAP because she's worried their dad might not make it. But Rupert does make it, right? Spoiler alert, Arisha! (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap, this is basically the plot of Succession. Succession actually started out based on Rupert Murdoch and his four adult kids. 
then they turned it into a fictional version because— I guess they thought it'd be more fun that way? And because they didn't want to get sued. But the true story of the Murdoch family is crazy enough as it is. You've got this egomaniacal dad, siblings stabbing each other in the back, and this looming question. Who's going to inherit Rupert's $19 billion empire? I mean, the guy's 86 years old. I assume they have a succession plan. I see what you did there. (laughs) And you'd think so, but his kids have spent basically their entire lives fighting to inherit Rupert's empire. And it's been a roller coaster of who's up, who's down, who's in, who's out. So now, with Rupert on his maybe deathbed, there's a battle heating up for who will take over. When his kids arrive in Los Angeles and they gather around their dad's hospital bed, they all have very different ideas about what they would do with all that power. So just how does one man go from owning a small newspaper in Australia to running the most influential media company in the world? And how does that guy still not have a plan for what comes after him at 86 (laughs) years old? That's a great question, because the infighting in the Murdoch clan has been going on for years. Maybe it would have been less gruesome if they brought out the giant spears. Mm, Good idea. From Wondery, I'm Brooke Sifrin. And I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. And this is Even the Rich, where we bring you absolutely true and absolutely shocking stories about the greatest family dynasties the world has ever seen. It's a show about power, how you get it, how you keep it, and what happens when it goes to your head. It's also about how the rich are just like us, because even the rich love and cry and dream and hope and look like crap on video conference calls mm, triggered <laughs> <laughs> the story of rupert murdoch and his children sounds like it was lifted out of shakespeare first you hit me with alexander the great <laughs> now you're talking shakespeare yeah you're getting a whole day of school in today <laughs> oh great <laughs> But seriously, though, a powerful, aging king, children vying for his throne, even a wicked stepmother or two. It's all real, and it's all happening today, right now. And the most surprising part of the story is that it affects even ordinary, non-rich people like you and me. Speak for yourself. (laughs) I just bought two bread pan loaves at Target. Oh, wow. (laughs) If you were really rich, somebody would be making the bread for you. (laughs) So that's a terrible argument. (laughs) This is more than just a story about one very rich guy and his audacious business deals and messy love life and cutthroat family drama. But it's got all of that, right? Oh, yeah, of course. But it also really is Shakespearean. He's got a multi-billion dollar media kingdom at stake. The Murdochs have owned everything from the Wall Street Journal to The Simpsons. So basically, there's not a day that goes by that all of us are not reading or watching something that this guy owns. You got it. It's not just that Rupert is rich, it's that he's powerful. Being heir to the Murdoch throne just might mean you get to pick the next Prime Minister of England or President of the United States. Or the next reality TV star. Or the next reality TV star who becomes President of the United States. This is a four-part series on the real-life succession, and this is episode one, Rupert. 
So let's rewind a little bit. Back to July 15, 1964. Rupert Murdoch is 33 years old. He's not exactly handsome. He's got a pudgy face and a receding hairline. But there is something about him. He's always wearing these well-tailored dark suits. And when he smirks, which he does a lot, he looks confident. He's already been working in the newspaper business for years at this point. First as an intern and then as an editor. But today is different. He's about to publish the first edition of his own newspaper, one he created all by himself, on his own terms, in the country where he was born and grew up. It's called The Australian. And it's the first national newspaper that Australia has ever had. Not the most creative name, is it? He should have called it something like The Kangaroo Times. I love it. I mean, he ends up calling his whole empire News Corp which sounds like a fake business from a superhero movie. I mean, superhero movies, their names are so basic. I know. Batman is literally a man who's a bat. Yes. Superman is a man who's super smart. Like, that (laughs) that really would fit in a superhero movie. Rupert may be the owner, but he's not afraid to get dirty. Literally. His fingers are always smudged, and he has ink stains all over his clothes. Good thing he wears such dark suits. Exactly. And today, he's rushing around the office shouting at workers about the little details that will make his paper perfect. Fix that photo. (laughs) Make that headline bigger. Get me a picture, Spider-Man. Basically, it's that old-timey newspaper thing. So I imagine he's chewing on cigars for all of this. Yeah. After he puts his first issue to bed late that night, Rupert has a drink with his editor. It's finally quiet, just the two of them. And Rupert must be feeling a little sentimental because he tells the editor, Well, I've got where I am by some pretty tough and pretty larrikin methods. What the heck does larrikin mean? (laughs) It's Australian slang. It means, like, daring and unconventional. I cannot believe that after four episodes of subjecting all of our listeners (laughs) to our amazing British accents, we are now going to make them listen to our Australian ones. Yeah, it's not going to get better, guys. So just, <laughs> just hang on tight. <laughs> so Rupert says, Now what I want to do, I want to be able to produce the newspaper that my father would have been proud of. His dad is like this macho newspaper man, Sir Keith Murdoch. He got his start as a war correspondent during World War I. After that, Sir Keith took over two local Australian newspapers and became the country's most influential journalist. So let me guess. Rupert was never good enough for daddy? Exactly. Major daddy issues. And the more needy Rupert was about trying to get his dad's attention to him, the more Sir Keith got annoyed. Okay, so where's his mom in all of this? Oh, she's tough too. Her name is Dame Elizabeth Murdoch. She's a very big deal in Australia. Her family is like the Australian Kennedys. And she's a force. She's strict and religious. And she used to make Rupert sleep outside in a hut when he was a kid to toughen him up. (laughs) Like backyard camping, only not fun and not optional. Right. But she is big into family. Even though she makes her family sleep outside. (laughs) She teaches Rupert the importance of taking care of family, which, pro tip, it's easier if they're in the house with you. (laughs) (laughs) So newspapers from dad. Family first from mob. Yes. And those are two of the three ingredients that will drive Rupert Murdoch his whole life. Okay. And what's the third one? An obsession with power. It all starts when Rupert's 10 years old. His parents send him off to a fancy boarding school, and he hates it. Did they look at his handwriting to get into that school? (laughs) 
Arisha, stay focused. (laughs) (laughs) All the other kids make fun of him for having a dad who works for a newspaper instead of, I don't know, doing whatever Australian aristocrats do. Insert kangaroo hunting joke here. (laughs) Anyway, the whole experience puts a big chip on Rupert's shoulder, and it never goes away. And then, after boarding school... He goes to Oxford. Ah, more fancy people with privileged backgrounds. (laughs) Rupert does well there, except he still gets treated like a country bumpkin from Australia. It takes a lot to impress people at Oxford. When I was in college, I was friends with a guy whose dad owned a Taco Bell franchise, and people treated that kid like royalty. I don't blame them. My hometown didn't have a Taco Bell forever. I'd be like, (laughs) oh my God. Your hometown only had a Walmart. They did, and the whole town threw a parade when that came, so you can imagine. (laughs) Anyway, while Rupert is at Oxford, just 21 years old, Rupert's father dies. Mm. Rupert heads home to Australia to take over his dad's two newspapers. And he's in for a pretty big surprise. Turns out his dad died broke. And get this, literally the day after Sir Keith dies, before Rupert's plane has even landed, Keith's business rivals go into the dead man's office and jackhammer his safe open. What? I can't hear you. Okay, 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 guys, we we get it. These rivals are pretty sure that Keith secretly transferred his shares in two newspapers over to a trust controlled by Rupert and his mom. Now they're trying to find and possibly destroy the documents that prove it. It's all part of a ploy to screw Rupert out of what is rightfully his. With a jackhammer? (laughs) That's some Guy Ritchie shit. (laughs) Yeah. Rupert does inherit his dad's shares, but that doesn't stop his rivals. They try to force him to sell. And the Murdoch family finances are such a mess that Rupert has no choice. So he gives up one of his papers. But he vows he is never, ever going to get screwed out of what's his again. This is like his supervillain origin story. (laughs) It really is. He comes away from it convinced that if you don't own everything yourself, you're a sucker. At least Rupert gets to keep the other paper. It's called News of Adelaide. And he gets to work. Rupert's a workaholic. Like us. Arisha, we're in our pajamas. Okay, these are weird times. (laughs) Okay, well, unlike us, he has no hobbies, no other interests. But he does manage to find a woman to marry. The future first (laughs) ex-wife of Rupert Murdoch. You betcha. They have one daughter together named Prudence, or Prue for short. But then one night, Rupert's in his office, working late, like always. Chomping on a cigar and burning the midnight oil. (laughs) And in walks a pretty young journalist, asking if she can interview him. I see where this is going. (laughs) Her name is Anna Torv. Rupert's 36 years old. Anna is 18. Gross. (laughs) And before long, Anna is wife number two. And how long did they last? She's actually the winner by far. They'll be married for more than 30 years. It's got to help that Anna loves newspapers just like Rupert. Plus, she's a total babe. Blonde, tall, and slim, with perfect posture and lots of poise. Prudence, that's Rupert's daughter from his first marriage, she goes to live with them for a while. Until Anna becomes pregnant and decides she's not exactly in the mood to deal with a nine-year-old stepdaughter. Ugh, shit, that's harsh. Yeah. So is this where the crazy Murdoch sibling drama starts? Not quite. Rupert and Anna pretty much forget about Prue. She's out of the picture. Okay, that's sad. Poor little Prue. She's only nine. Yeah. In one interview, Rupert will literally forget to mention her name when he talks about his kids. Wow. (laughs) 
That is so <laughs> That is yeah. shitty. Yeah. So Rupert and Anna have three kids together. Elizabeth's the oldest. Everyone calls her Liz. Then Lachlan, who becomes Rupert's favorite— you know, firstborn son, Ugh, all that. Gross. <laughs> Plus, Lachlan has a ton in common with his dad. And then there's James, the youngest. He's always trying to prove himself. But there's one thing that unites them all. They're ambitious, just like their dad. Even from a young age, there's competition. Mm, I bet instead of whoopee cushions, they put, like, rusty nails on each other's chairs. Yeah, chairs made out of gold. <laughs> James is always served last at family meals because he's the youngest. This drives him nuts, of course. And he's always trying to switch around the dishes and the chairs to jump ahead of his siblings. Does that work? I doubt it, but hey, he's got to try. And Rupert loves the competition. When the kids are little, he encourages them to compete at skiing and at charades, giving them clues in Latin. He thinks making them compete will bring out the best in all of them. So it's survival of the fittest in the least fun way. Latin charade. Yeah. And it pretty much works. Lachlan's a hard worker, just like his dad was. When he's 13, he gets a job as a printer's apprentice, cleaning all the oil and the grease off the presses. And he loves it. Or at least I imagine he convinced himself he loves it. And when he's older, Lachlan spends his summer vacations back down in Australia working as a jackaroo to earn extra money. Okay, I'm sorry, but you know I'm going to ask. A jackaroo is basically an Australian cowboy. But instead of horses, they ride kangaroos? Nailed it. <laughs> and the rest of the year, Lachlan spends as much time as he can working on the family ranch to save up to buy a motorcycle. I'm surprised Rupert Murdoch's son has to save up to buy anything. Yeah. For rich kids, the Murdochs really aren't that spoiled. One of Liz's childhood friends says Liz was always asking to borrow $5. Could you, can you imagine <laughs> a rich kid, like a Murdoch, coming up and asking you for five bucks? I'd be like, I'm paying my rent in tears. Like, what do you want? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but of course, yeah. they do live in a gorgeous penthouse apartment and go to fancy private schools. But Rupert also wants them to get used to working hard and being tough. During this time, Rupert is making his name as one of the leading newspaper men in Australia and England. Probably the biggest gun in his arsenal is a paper called The News of the World. Right, the sleazy British tabloid. Well, yes, it was a tabloid when Rupert bought it, but it wasn't nearly as sleazy until he got his hands on it. It's 1968 in a fancy tea room in Mayfair, one of the most expensive neighborhoods in London. Ooh, very posh. And Rupert is there to see a very posh guy, Sir William Carr and his wife, Lady Carr. Sir William's the owner of News of the World. Did I mention the nickname of the paper is Screws of the World? That doesn't sound very tea room appropriate. <laughs> but Sir William still considers himself a gentleman, and he wants to sell his paper to another gentleman. Someone classy and well-bred and preferably English. Not a rube from Australia. <laughs> well, Rupert puts on the full fancy English gentleman act for them. Quite right. Tally-ho. Good show. Um, No. <laughs> Rupert sips his tea from the little china teacups. Pinky out? Naturally. He's got the cars eating out of his hand. It helps that he makes them a promise. If they sell him 40% stake in the company, he'll settle for being the managing director and leave the car family with the rest of the stock. Sir William can even stay on as chairman. It works. It does. He's soon the proud owner of 40% of Screws of the World's 
And six months later... He goes back on his word? Right-o. He pushes Mm. out Sir William, who was old and frail anyway, so it took only the (laughs) gentlest of shoves, and then he takes over. So what's his plan now that he's 100% owner? He wants to make the paper 10 times sleazier. You see, Rupert's got a very specific vision when he buys a tabloid. He strips away all the boring stuff, like the artsy culture stuff, and all the boring facts and figures. And he makes it exciting and eye-catching. And dumber. (laughs) Let's just say when he bought the TV guide, he said it was far too cerebral. The way he sees it is that the working stiffs don't want to sit down after a hard day at the factory and read about tax policy. They want juicy celebrity gossip and grisly crime stories and topless ladies. Well, I gotta say I'd rather read about celebrity hookups than tax reform. Okay, what about this? Extra, extra, Chancellor's flat is vice den. With some steamy pictures and a lady in black lingerie, of course. Okay, that really gets my attention. (laughs) Or how about this? Read all about it. Tory boss Archer pays off vice girl. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds bad. Okay, one more. Child sex ring for stars. With the subhead. It was like a VIP club for perverts. Okay, gross. That's awful. (laughs) Awful, but eye-catching. This is the Rupert method, and it makes him a fortune. And before long, he's ready to take his brand of tabloid journalism to America. In 1976, when his kids are all still little, Rupert moves the family, minus Prudence. Oh, God, he forgot her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again. He moves them to New York City, because Rupert Murdoch just bought the New York Post. Watch me do my thing now. So I just want to say DoorDash deserves all the gold stars. Like, I cannot tell you how many times it's come in handy. We actually use it for our Thursday night sleepovers. We get Cheesecake Factory all the time on DoorDash. Uh, But it's it's good for a lot of things, groceries, late night snacks, all kinds of stuff. And before you ask, Richie's, yes, of course we have a code. You can use code (laughs) RICH24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value. When you spend $15 or more on your next convenience, grocery, or retail order for eligible users only, terms apply. Love it. Listen, Rich as you play your cards right, you never have to leave your house again. <laughs> yep. And that's the real dream. <laughs> it is. Get everything you need when you need it. Use code RICH24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more at convenience, grocery, or select retail stores on DoorDash. For eligible users only, terms apply. Can we talk about how cool it is that with Audible, you almost feel like you're watching a movie just by listening to the stories? Especially with Audible's new collection of exclusive thrillers. They feature captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances, so the story is really brought to life. I'm excited to listen to None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. It's actually about a podcaster. (gasps) who meets this girl and this girl like tells her about her life and she's like you should feature me in your podcast but then the girl's life is like very strange oh my gosh so why has that not happened to us yet it will it's only a matter of time (laughs) but it sounds so good and juicy yeah and richie says an audible member you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog including best-selling audio titles and new releases in every genre New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash even the rich or text even the rich to 500 500. That's audible.com slash even the rich or text even the rich to 500 500 to get started. Arisha, when I say New York Post, what's the first thing you think of? 
headless body in topless bar. Arguably the greatest tabloid headline of all time. Yes. That is probably peak New York Post. Though I also love, Tiger admits I'm a cheetah. About <laughs> Tiger Woods cheating on his wife, of course. I'm a fan of Osama bin Wankin <laughs> from when they found porn in bin Laden's compound. Ah, <laughs> uh, even the terrorists. <laughs> oh my God. So believe it or not, before Rupert Murdoch bought the Post in 1976, it was actually a respectable newspaper. One of its founders was Alexander Hamilton. But after Rupert, Marla boasts to her pals about Donald. Best sex I ever had. He also adds page six, which becomes a gossip institution that makes and breaks businessmen, politicians, and celebrities, or sends their careers catapulting in a completely new direction. Like? Well, like Madonna, Rudy Giuliani, Harvey Weinstein, Lindsay Lohan, Derek Jeter, and Donald Trump. There's never been anything like page six before. It exists to make famous people look bad, and yet practically every famous person in the world wants to be featured and they know Rupert's the ticket in. Rupert so relishes being a kingmaker that he doesn't even care if the Post loses money. He loves the power. In January of 1977, Time Magazine runs a cover with Rupert Murdoch's head on King Kong's body, trampling New York City, holding magazines and newspapers, yelling the headline, Extra! Aussie press lord terrifies Gotham! You can't put a price on knowing everyone's dark secrets. Actually, you can but that's for a later episode. Ooh, I can't wait. (laughs) So as the 80s roll around, Rupert Murdoch owns the News of the World, The Sun, The New York Post, The Times of London, New York Magazine, and The Village Voice. At this point, he's already worth more than a billion dollars, but it's not enough. He wants to expand beyond publishing. So in 1985, he decides to go even bigger. And today, confirmation of the largest single broadcast station transaction in history, involving more than $2 billion. But when Australian publishing magnate Rupert Murdoch walked into the Waldorf Tower suite with Metro Media chairman John Kluge, it was clear the deal was done. And the nation's largest independent television group was about to be a jewel in Murdoch's crown. Rupert's going Hollywood. (laughs) He actually hates Hollywood, but he knows that's where the power is. And by owning one of the biggest movie studios in the world? I mean, this is the studio that put out the Star Wars movies. It really cements his status as not just a newspaper man, but a media mogul. Rupert isn't just making money. He's defining the 80s, from politics to pop culture. In 1986, he launches the Fox Broadcasting Network. Back then, there were basically three TV networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And they were all pretty respectable. There hadn't been a new national broadcast station in 40 years. Then along comes Fox and everything changes. Starting with the raunchy mega hit, Married with Children, and then The Simpsons. Did you know Married with Children has the proud distinction of being the first show to use toilet flushing sounds on TV? Boo! Whoosh! That's a man's flush, buddy. Should we be concerned about how often toilets are coming up in this series? First, Meghan Markle's dad couldn't buy a toilet, then the groom of the stool, and now that very weird clip. I think it's what the people need. Keep more toilets. Keep it coming. (laughs) Toilets are hot right now. Okay. Okay. Well, we are in quarantine. Yeah, exactly. The point is, it's a second-tier TV network, mostly known for sexy-type soap operas and lowbrow reality shows. 
He wanted to draw in a younger audience because no one else was. ABC, CBS, and NBC were focusing on the 35 and older crowd. Fox goes with a different strategy. And it gets huge ratings with shows like 90210, Melrose Place, In Living Color, and The X-Files. So that means that we are Rupert Murdoch's target audience. We watched at least half of those together. Sadly, we are. (laughs) (laughs) And then they make an even bolder move. Some might even call it a coup. Rupert grabs the rights to air NFL games from CBS. As you know, Fox has had a phenomenal growth in the last few years. And then, in 1996, Rupert launches the first 24-hour cable news network to compete with CNN, which has been the only game in town. It's called Fox News, and it's going to become the most powerful weapon in his empire and the most profitable. It's also going to tear his family apart. Yeah, where are Rupert's kiddos in all of this? Who's the smart one? Who's the cute one? Who's the rebel? Well, it's not the breakfast club. And (laughs) the kids kids are all watching how their dad operates his empire. Watching and learning. So you're trying to eat better, but meal prepping isn't exactly cutting it. Trust me, I've been there. Which is why I'm so excited for today's sponsor, Factor. Factor's pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals are delivered right to your door and heat up in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier. It really hasn't. And you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. This is a sponsor that we're like, we're going to probably pay for this on our own when yeah. it runs out. And that's a big testament. Like, The meals are delicious. I have not had a meal I don't like from there. The idea of being able to put something in the microwave for two minutes and it coming out as if you cooked it. Yeah. I feel like we're living in the future. We are. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Yeah. So head to factormeals.com slash rich50 and use code rich50 to get 50% off. That's code rich50 at factormeals.com slash rich50 to get 50% off. It's 1985. Liz, Lachlan, and James are all teenagers. Every day they gather around the kitchen table in their home, a three-floor Fifth Avenue penthouse overlooking Central Park. All the kids want only one thing. Dinner. (laughs) Yeah. We're hungry, Daddy. (laughs) But no, to impress their father. And the way to impress Rupert is through newspapers. Okay, I'm trying to imagine how you'd impress someone through newspapers. Let's try. Okay, I'll play Rupert with my amazing accent, and you play the kids. Why do you get to play Rupert? Because I'm the boss. (laughs) Okay, so true story, let me set the scene. Each night after dinner, I spread out the paper and start firing off questions. How big are the headlines? Why did they choose this photo? How would you make everything better, snappier, more eye-catching, more profitable? Okay, Arisha, you're Liz. You're smart, confident, a little cutthroat. Go. I recommend we slash all the reporters' salaries and use the savings to pay for full-color photos. Good answer, but not good enough. Lachlan, what about you? Lachlan is daddy's favorite. Sort of a kiss-up. Always eager to impress. How would you make this paper bigger, better, bolder? Well, Dad, I I think you've already done... Everything you've already done is already so brilliant and it's just perfect already. Wrong! There is always room for improvement. James, what do you think? You're the youngest. 
Try to say something original here for once. Uh, what if we forget about newspapers and start building rockets? Wrong. This is not fun. (laughs) Well, they think it is. Or at least they rise to the occasion. Their father's approval is at stake. Sounds familiar. And Rupert loves to see the kids compete, especially when it comes to imagining the future of the empire. It's like Rupert is running a full-time, live-in newspaper internship out of his kitchen. And he talks to his kids about all of it. The deals he's making, the acquisitions and mergers, and the hostile takeovers. Be honest. Do you know what a hostile takeover is? No, not really. (laughs) But it sounds very 80s, so I'm imagining a tray full of Coke and lots of manly bravado. Buy low, sell high, cut everyone's wages. As they grow up, they're basically being groomed by dad. And each one of them takes it in a completely different way. It's pretty fascinating. Like, take Liz, for example. She's the oldest. Except for poor Prue. Ugh, out of the picture so it doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) But Liz is the firstborn to Anna and Rupert. She's also... The smartest. I was going to say the only girl. Which means smartest. Actually, yes. I like what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) I think all the Murdoch kids are convinced they're the smartest, but Liz is different from her brothers. Are you about to give me a biology lesson? No, gross. (laughs) What I mean is, she's done more to look the part of a mogul in waiting. She works hard on her resume. She goes off to Vassar College in 1986 and falls in with the right crowd. Her friends are beautiful and sophisticated and rich. So she fits right in. Not exactly. Sure, Liz grew up rich. And that's the understatement of the century. (laughs) But she actually had a pretty modest upbringing. She took the bus to school. She was never given pocket money, so she was constantly borrowing money from her friends. Fun fact, she even got suspended from school for drinking. To be fair, I'd be drinking too if my dad was a billionaire and refused (laughs) to even give me $5. (laughs) Yeah. So Liz doesn't completely fit in with all the trust fund kids at Vassar. I'm imagining her new friends are all snarky and vain, like in a Brett Easton Ellis novel. You have to look right, act right, spend right. I guess this wouldn't be a story about the rich and famous if you didn't. Liz was always attractive, but when she got to Vassar, she was far from perfect. She smoked cigarettes, she was out of shape, but she's tenacious. She hits the books and the gym. It was like a total metamorphosis. And by sophomore year, it's like she's a completely different person at least on the outside. Her friend told Vanity Fair it was, quote, amazing to see. Knowing what was expected of her, you got the sense that she was preparing for something. But I think she was probably preparing for it her entire life. Running the empire? Maybe. When Liz sets her mind to something, damn if she's not gonna get it done. Here's an example of her drive. Liz has always been a TV junkie. Growing up, she obsessively watched reruns of The Brady Bunch and I Love Lucy. And in college, she puts that obsession to use. She starts the school's first student-run TV station. So does Liz ever let loose? Well, she does fall in love. His name is Elkin. He's this incredibly handsome guy. And he's got a pretty wild family story. His dad's a political prisoner in Ghana. Ooh, hot. Arisha, what is hot about that? I mean, his his backstory. It's a sexy backstory. He's attractive. There's drama and intrigue related mm. to his family. Mm. Okay. Well, Elkin falls for her too. And when she goes to Australia to take a job, he stays behind and they do the long distance thing. Mm. Australia, huh? Home of the Murdochs. Yep. She's getting ready to join the family business. And her father is all for it. 
But she doesn't work for him right away. Instead, she takes a job at a station where she puts into practice what she learned running the student TV station. She has to navigate the swaggering madmen types who drink martinis at lunch and in the boardroom bar and after work and pretty much wherever they get the chance. So Aussies do know how to have a good time. (laughs) Yeah. She was the only woman in senior management, which made it extra tough. But she is tough, so she fit right in. I'm getting strong Siobhan vibes Mm. as a big Succession fan. (laughs) So fast forward a few years, Liz and Elkin get married. And the wedding is this huge to-do. Society pages of the New York Times. Oh, and a former president is there. Ronald Reagan. Is that a good thing? You'd tell him not to come to your wedding? Okay, I see what you're saying. (laughs) So back to Liz. She decides to keep her name. Of course. And after a short stint in L.A. at the Fox TV group, she decides, and these are her words, that she wants to go out and prove that I could do my own thing. Who's she trying to impress? Who do you think? President Reagan. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) No, she's determined to show she doesn't need daddy or anyone to make it. So she goes to the bank and takes out a loan for $31 million. $31 million? Do banks give out loans that big? Because I am going to make a pit stop at the bank today. Yes, let me know how that goes for you. (laughs) Jesus, she's not even 30. Yeah, she's 25. But she didn't exactly do it on her own. She had a little help. Rupert guaranteed the loan. She buys two sleepy TV stations in Central California. And then she whips out her trusty copy of the Rupert Murdoch playbook. She encourages reporters to chase racy stories. She gets rid of a quarter of the station's staff, including its beloved anchorman, who, sure, was kind of stuck in the past, but people liked this guy the way they love a fuzzy mascot at the high school football game. More than 100 viewers call up the station pissed the anchor got the boot, and Liz talks to all of them. Wow, those must have been fun calls. What does she say? She takes responsibility for her actions because she always thinks she's right. And she works herself to the bone to increase profits because she knows that's what it takes. The only time she takes vacation is to give birth to her first daughter. And she's back at work two weeks later. I mean, I will say I'm impressed with how she's going about this. Like, she's owning up for what she's doing. She doesn't take the six weeks that this country gives us where they should be giving a lot more. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. She's really working hard. She is. And after a year, ratings and av revenue are up. And Liz decides she's done all she can do. So she puts the stations up for sale. And what do you know? She ends up pocketing a profit of 12 million bucks. But Liz doesn't have it all figured out. Remember, she's only in her mid-20s. She still has a lot to learn which is why she wants to get her MBA. Let me ask you something. Imagine you call up your dad and tell him you just got into business school at Stanford. How do you think he'd react? Um, He'd probably be like, I told you there's no money in podcasting. (laughs) Well, when Liz tells her dad, he yells at her. He says, you don't need a fucking MBA. I'll give you an MBA. Come work for me. He wants Liz to move to London. He's got this company there called B-Sky-B, and he tells Liz she's got to see the amazing things they're doing to introduce digital television. Yeah, except Liz has proved that she can do basically anything on her own, at least within a year, so (laughs) I don't think she would need that. I assume she says no. Okay, here's what you need to know about Rupert Murdoch and his kids. You know how for your New Year's resolution, you swear you're going to stop eating ice cream before you go to bed? 
But then it's been like three days and you never actually threw out the pint of Cherry Garcia in the freezer. So you take it out, you have a scoop, and next thing you know, you're back to eating a pint every night. Rupert is like that irresistible pint of ice cream. And you are the kids who can't say no. Most of the kids want to forge their own paths, but it's pretty much impossible when your father is Rupert Murdoch. Think about it. Like, what kind of job are you going to get at 29 years old? Director of audit and compliance at ABC? Right. Like, the recruiter is going to be, impressive resume, Miss Murdoch, but you're in line to inherit your father's empire. You really think you're going to be happy here? The benefits are great. <laughs> well, if you inherit an empire that kind of trumps healthcare in a company car. And let's be real. Liz doesn't want to be director of audit and compliance. So she takes the job at B-Sky-B. And she doesn't like it. She's not moving up as fast as she wants. Her dad doesn't want anyone to think she's there because of her last name. She's going to have to earn everything she got. Which is interesting because Rupert doesn't treat his boys the same way. Ugh. What is going on with the boys? Well, around the time Liz graduated from Vassar, James, the baby, goes off to Harvard. Of course he does. He works on the Lampoon, the school's famed humor magazine. He's the sack butt. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's the person who mixes drinks at meetings. <sighs> America's best and brightest. <laughs> you know what they say, the hardest part about Harvard is getting in. After that, you're just mixing drinks. <laughs> Liz spent her college years physically and mentally preparing herself to run dad's company. James, not so much. He's got bleach blonde hair, which I guess is almost forgivable since it's the 90s. Almost. But he's also got a bunch of piercings. Classic sack butt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At first, he thinks he wants to be an archaeologist. But instead, he and some friends decide to start a record label. Okay, I'm starting to sense a theme here. The Murdoch kids go to college, find their passion, and pursue it after graduation. Except James doesn't graduate. He drops out of school so he can focus on the label full-time. And how does Rupert take that? Not well, of course. But James is clever. Somehow, he manages to convince Rupert that it's the right move. Because the way James sees it, he doesn't have a choice. He's got to try something big on his own. Because there's no way in hell he's going to go work for his dad. He tried that when he was 15, working at one of Rupert's papers in Sydney. And he hated it. People were afraid to criticize him to his face, even when he screwed up. And boy, does he screw up. Like the time he curled up on a couch during a major press conference and a rival newspaper published a picture of him napping. After that experience, he decided that working for his dad was, and I quote, a nightmare. Like there was one job I had where I napped every single day between 12 and 2 and had a sign on the door saying I was in a meeting. But I mean, imagine the pressure of living in Rupert's shadow. Yeah, those are some big footsteps to follow. So he wants to break free. He wants his label— raucous records, to be edgy and experimental. I mean, if you think about it, Rupert was edgy and experimental in his own way. Headless body and topless bar. <laughs> yep, exactly. Early on, he even signs a band called Horgasm. He wants <laughs> raucous to put out records that, quote, people's parents wouldn't want to listen to. Okay, so James is living his life and working on his own terms. Yes, and he's really good at it. The label's a critical darling. He signs Mos Def and Eminem before they're famous. And in 1996, when the label's only a year or two old, someone offers to buy it. <gasps> Who? Guess. The lead singer of Orgasm. How do you always know the right answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Rupert, his dad. And what Rupert wants, Rupert gets. Raucous becomes part of News Corp, and James goes to work for his dad. 
And unlike Liz, he will move up fast. He runs the internet side for all of News Corp, and pretty soon he's promoted to CEO of Star TV. And then there was one, Lachlan. Mm -hmm. Like his siblings, Lachlan went to a second-tier school, Princeton. Remember, when Liz was in college, she hung out with the poshest people on campus, while James stood out at Harvard thanks to his eyebrow piercing and mixology skills. Lachlan's different. He keeps to himself. He spends all of his free time rock climbing in a dingy gym on campus, pushing himself as hard as he can, wearing a 20-pound weighted vest. I'm not sure why. Maybe so he can suffer. (laughs) His best friend is this guy he meets climbing, and the guy doesn't even know his name. He thinks it's Laughlin. That's like your (laughs) mother-in-law knowing your last name. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) But basically, Lachlan doesn't care about being popular. He doesn't want to stand out at all. The way he sees it, school is just a stepping stone to working for his dad. In 1990, when Lachlan's a freshman, his dad asks him to leave Princeton and come see him in London. Rupert has always relied on Lachlan. He was the first son, after all. The chosen one. Yeah. And Lachlan's never made any secret of the fact that he idolizes his dad. He used to lay awake all night listening to Rupert talk business with his dinner guests. He used to get up before dawn so he could have breakfast alone with his dad before he left for work. Lachlan was always there for Rupert, and that's why Rupert wants Lachlan by his side now. Moral support. When Lachlan arrives in London, he finds out why his dad called him. Rupert's trying to close a major deal. It's a merger. And Lachlan is at his side for hours, studying Rupert as he negotiates with a small army of lawyers. It's like Rupert's showing him, if he wants to run the business one day, this is what it takes. Mm -hmm. But something's off. Rupert seems haggard and depressed. Lachlan's never seen him like this before. What he doesn't know, because Rupert never tells him, is that right now, the whole Murdoch empire hangs in the balance. News Corp is drowning in debt. If this merger doesn't go through, Rupert's done for. The meeting finally breaks up at one in the morning, and Lachlan and Rupert walk home together. As Lachlan and Rupert make their way down Fleet Street and through the empty city, Lachlan has this sudden desire to put his arms around his dad. That's what he later tells the New York Times. He wants to hold him up, shoulder some of the burden. Instead, they just keep walking. It's kind of symbolic. Lachlan has seen firsthand the burden of running the family business, and he wants to carry the weight. After the visit, Lachlan goes back to Princeton. He graduates in 1994, right around the time Liz buys her TV station and James starts his record label. He figures if they want to go prove themselves on their own, fine. Lachlan's only got one dream, and that's to live in his father's shadow. So he goes to work for Rupert. He does. Remember how Rupert's dad owned shares in two newspapers, but when he died, Rupert had to sell one of them? Yeah. It was called the Courier-Mail. And once Rupert made his fortune, he bought it back. Baller move. (laughs) Yeah, and now he puts Lachlan in charge. Now that is a symbol. Right. And a sign to his kids. Play the game, kiss the ring, work for me, and I will reward you with my empire. They all actually seem like decent kids. So which one is going to win the big prize? Wouldn't you like to know? Oh, fuck off. (laughs) Next time on Even the Rich. (laughs) 
This is the first episode of our four-part series, The Real Life Succession. We use many sources when researching our stories, like Vanity Fair, The New York Times, and The New Yorker. And yes, a few of the sorts of tabloids that Rupert would approve of. (laughs) But we especially recommend two books, Rupert Murdoch, The Untold Story of the World's Greatest Media Wizard by Neil Chenoweth, and The Man Who Owns the News by Michael Wolff. I'm Brooke Sifrin. And I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. Summer Block wrote this episode. Our audio engineer is us. (laughs) That's right. We are recording from a closet like a lot of podcasters are right now. Sound design by Jeff Schmidt. Kayla Bissinger is our associate producer. Our executive producers are Stephanie Jens, Marshall Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wondery. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.